This episode of Juice Guru Radio is brought to you by Try Best, making healthy living easy. Well, welcome. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. And I couldn't be more excited. Coming up on the show today, we've got celebrity Jane Velez Mitchell, founder and managing editor of the nonprofit Jane Unchained News Network. She's doing incredible work. We're going to hear all about it right after this. So grab a tea, some juice, or water. I'll be back right up right after this with one of my biggest heroes, Jane Velez Mitchell. Did you know you can make a great living in the hottest new business trend today? The Juice Guru Certification Program is the world's first online course to give you the knowledge and marketing skills to excel as a juicing coach and start making money in no time. Find out more at juicecoachtraining.com. And we're back. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in. We've got Jane Velez Mitchell. I want to bring her on in just a second here, but a little about her. She's from janeunchained.com. We're reaching people all over the world with a plant-based compassion lifestyle. It's hashtag Jane Unchained. Over 17 million video views a year through Facebook and her main website, which is the hub for all this goodness. I'm going to put the link under the show notes, Juice Guru Radio, for janeunchained.com. And if you're watching live on uh, Facebook, I'm going to have the link here for you too. So don't worry, you'll get that. But she's the winner of the four Genesis Awards for the Humane Society of the United States, author of four, four books, including two New York Times bestsellers, and for six years hosted her own show on CNN Headline News. That's where my wife and I found her. She is an inspiration. Uh, she's worked with uh, celebrity justice news anchor reporter for uh, KCAL here uh, in LA, WCBS TV in New York. Uh, let's welcome to the show right now, Jane Velez Mitchell. Oh, hi, how are you, Steve? I love you, Juice Guru. Jane, you're not keeping busy enough. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. This morning I was editing a documentary with a great editor, a vegan editor out of North Carolina, Jeff Adams, who's also starting a vegan linked, uh, which is similar to LinkedIn for vegans to connect with other vegans. And now I'm doing this. And uh, when I'm done with this, I'm going to work with uh, someone else to complete our music video, our latest music video from Jane Unchained called Go Vegan Go. And uh, it's just one thing after another from the moment I wake up till the moment I go to sleep, trying to spread the word about a compassionate lifestyle that doesn't involve killing so that we can save the planet. Because as I'm outlining my documentary, uh, we are killing uh, animals at an extraordinary frenzied rate. In 12 hours, more animals will die uh, for food than all humans killed in all wars in the history of humankind. So there is a price to be paid for that killing. Our society, which is profiting off of the suffering and death, says you get a pass on that killing. You can even call yourself an animal lover if you're killing animals. But that's not true. The truth is that we're all paying a price because climate change is accelerating with extreme weather phenomenon that we're seeing as we speak with bitter cold Arctic style temperatures in the Midwest and uh, fires here in Malibu, floods in the South, and it's just the beginning. So if you throw up your hands and say it's terrible, but there's nothing I can do, you're wrong. The, the most important thing you can do to stop climate change is to start eating a plant-based diet. Transition now to a plant-based diet 
if you have children, if you have grandchildren, if you just want to see our planet survive, the planet itself will survive, but the species won't. And we are literally barreling toward extinction. Well, what, let's talk about your journey. How did you get into this? Because, I mean, obviously you were working with Headline News. You've been working for the major news networks. And and I remember, because I was a big fan of the work you were doing, you were always sprinkling the message about compassion in all the work you were doing. How, tell us about your journey and how Jane Velez Mitchell got to where you are today. Well, I was uh, born and raised in Midtown Manhattan, directly across the street from Carnegie Hall. My dad was Irish-American, an advertising executive right out of Mad Men with an agency on Madison Avenue. We smoked a pipe, uh, the whole nine yards. And my mom was from Puerto Rico, and she was a dancer, the last of the vaudevilles. And she actually had an experience as a child in Puerto Rico. She was born in 1916, before women even had the right to vote. And she had uh, an animal that was her friend, and she thought that this was her companion, her friend, and she came home one day when she was very young and the pig had been killed for food and she fainted and she was hysterical and she shunned meat from that point on as a little girl. So at the age of 12, she came to uh, New York on a boat by herself, formed a dance troupe, became a successful dancer, Anita Velez dancers. And then uh, eventually after career highlights like playing the Palace Theater, she married my dad and my dad had been in meat eater, but she converted him to, we thought we were vegetarian growing up, but we were far from it. We were pescatarian for the most part. We ate fish, we ate eggs, we ate cheese, we drank cow's milk, uh, but we thought of ourselves as vegetarians. We were really, I would call it primarily pescatarian because we weren't even strict. If somebody were to bring a, a hamburger to, we had a country house uh, on, on the east end of Long Island, if, if, um, Somebody were to bring hamburger meat for a cookout. Nobody stopped them. Whereas today I wouldn't allow that to happen, obviously, in my house. But at least we were on the journey. My mother gave me an understanding that these were animals, that these were beings that had feelings. Uh, they are just like our dog and cat. And I say, who are just like our dogs and cat? Not that. But unfortunately, in our society today, they're still considered property and we can kill them. And, you know, while we may be able to get away with it legally, morally, ethically, spiritually, environmentally, and in terms of our own health, we suffer huge consequences. You know, uh, heart disease kills one out of every four Americans. Heart disease, unless you're one of the rare individuals with a predisposition to high cholesterol, heart disease is caused by arteries to the heart getting clogged, clogged with plaque. Plaque comes from cholesterol. There is no cholesterol in plants. You can look at any vegan product. You will never see cholesterol because um, animals produce cholesterol. We're animals. Animals are animals. So if we have high cholesterol, which leads to heart disease, it's because we're eating too much meat and dairy. And I've stopped even saying meat for the most part. I say eating animals and animal byproducts because people are so divorced from the notion that they are participating in the torture and killing of animals. And, you know, I saw this woman wearing be kind t-shirt walking down the street. I said, you're vegan, right? You must be vegan if you're wearing a be kind t-shirt. She kind of looked at me like, so people love to say how kind they are and even, you know, tout their love of animals while they're participating in the worst killing of animals in the history of humankind in the form of factory farming of animals. These animals live in warehouses. They never see the sky. They never touch the grass. The only time that they 
get a breath of fresh air is on the ride to the slaughterhouse without food or water, sometimes for you know hours, days on end. It's a horror show. It's a moral abomination. I thank my mother for giving me the clarity that I was at least able to see it and get on the journey. And the good news is that The Economist said that this year, 2019, is the year veganism is going to go mainstream and people are waking up. I saw that. That is exciting news. And and thanks to you with your network and what you're doing, because you were out there, you were in the mainstream and covering these trials like Jody Arias and some of the other things that you were doing on the network. And what what was the decision to make the leap and say, you know what, I'm going to start my own network and no more censorship of what I can imagine. They were probably censoring some of what you were trying to say. Well, I was in mainstream media for 40 years. Um, when I graduated New York University, I got my first job as a reporter in Fort Myers, Florida. And then my second job in Minneapolis, Minnesota, my third job in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And then I ended up going back to my hometown, WCBS TV Channel 2, which ironically was on the same block that I grew up on, 57. And uh, then I worked there for 12 years or eight years, excuse me, eight years. And then I got an opportunity to be a weekday anchor. I was a weekend anchor at WCBS. And I got an opportunity to go to L.A. and I was offered a job as a weekend, as a weekday anchor. And uh, it was, to me, it seemed like a great career opportunity. Also, I was kind of done. I was done with the cold weather, even though it was my hometown. And I just grabbed it. And then I came out here. I was working at uh, KCAL TV, uh, uh, which was based in the Paramount lot at the time. So it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. And during that time, the 12 years that I worked at uh, KCAL TV, I hit bottom on uh, booze and uh, I uh, got sober. Uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic with 23 years of sobriety. And, you know, I became vegan shortly after that. Uh, While I was drinking, I talked a good game about this, that, and the other, but I didn't really do anything. I worked hard. I told myself, well, I work hard and I play hard, but I wasn't giving anything back, really. And then when I got sober, all the energy that I used to put into dancing and partying and all those other things that people who drink a lot do, uh, I had a lot of time on my hands. And also I had some clarity and I realized that my behavior wasn't in line with my values. I am ashamed to say that um, before I went vegan, I was vegetarian. Before I was vegetarian, I was kind of a half-assed vegetarian who would eat crabs. And I'll never forget looking back now that I went to some crab place and I had a hammer and I was hammering the, the shells. And now I look at that with horror. Uh, like, how could I be so blind? But that allows me to have compassion for those who are still eating animals because I was blind. I was in denial and I was lying to myself and saying, well, this doesn't count. They're just shellfish. What happened was uh, while I was at KCAL, I interviewed a guy named Howard Lyman, a fourth generation cattle rancher who had become famous uh, for going on Oprah. What happened to him was he was a fourth generation cattle rancher and he got very ill and he made a pact with God when he was going into the surgery and said, God, if you get me out of the surgery alive, I will reveal the secret horrors of the industry that I'm in, the animal agriculture industry. He survived. He wrote a book called Mad Cowboy. He went on Oprah and revealed some of the secrets. She famously said, that just stopped me cold from eating another burger. And uh, the cattleman sued her and became a big uh, drama. And he became famous as a result. 
And so he was doing a book tour and I interviewed him, you know, around that time. I can't say if it was exactly before or after, but it was around that time, mm-hmm. 20 years, 22 years ago, approximately. And after I interviewed him, he and his publicist came out to my office and they said, we hear you're a vegetarian. And I said, yes. And they said, do you eat dairy? And I, I hung my head because he had just told me about how the calves are ripped from the mothers. The boys are put in veal crates. He was telling me all the horrors of dairy. And I hung my head and I said, yes. And I looked at them and they pointed their finger right at my nose. And they said, liquid meat like that. And that's the moment wow. I went vegan. I went vegan because they confronted me with my hypocrisy. And, um, you know, so when people say, please be oh so very polite and don't confront anybody, I say, but wait a second, I was shamed into going vegan. <laughs> that was the moment that somebody confronted me with the truth. They didn't push me, they didn't throw red paint on me, but they confronted me. And so we need to confront people with the truth because our culture is telling us a fairy tale. I saw an ad just last night on TV uh, by the agriculture industry and the agri- the government, the, ad- the Department of Agriculture puts out these ads promoting dairy because Americans are waking up and dairy is plummeting as we get these plant-based milks, rice milk, soy milk, almond milk, hemp milk, cashew milk, the list goes on and on. Oat milk is now coming in. It's big in Europe. And they're trying to prop up this industry. That's not capitalism, by the way, capitalists. That is corporate socialism. Okay. They're not playing by the rules. The government has the thumb on the scale and is trying to push dairy onto school kids, even though uh, I would say everybody's lactose intolerant because we're not cows, but a good percentage of the population is officially lactose intolerant. And in this state, uh, you have to bring a doctor's note to a public school if you want your kid to be offered alternatives. In fact, I'm working uh, wow. with social compassionate legislation. They're, they're trying to uh, get that changed and get just like we passed a law here in California just this year, this past year that says, you must offer pl- healthy plant-based options to people who are in hospitals, healthcare centers, and prisons. And we're going to try to change that for schools as well. Um, so we're doing what we can. Uh, we're trying to wake people up any way we can. And that's why I started Jane Unchained. Progress is being made. People seem to be waking up here and there. And that's that's a fact. And even Forbes magazine is saying, you know, this is the new thing. This is the big thing. Uh, investors are getting behind these imitation meats and things like that. And people are seem, seem to be waking up that this is the future. But when you look at the numbers, would you expect more people to be awake by now than there are? We do know more people are waking up. More people are eating plants. There's so many reasons to do it from health to compassion to the environment. Three of the biggest, really biggest problems on this planet, the, the health of ourselves, the, the health of our planet and and our, you know, the, the, the beings that we share the planet with. These are three things that really will raise our consciousness. Are we making headway? And what was the reason for Jane Unchained? Why did you decide well, to start that network? Yeah. So after I worked at uh, KCAL TV, then I went to jump to syndication. I worked at a show called Celebrity Justice. I ended up covering the Michael Jackson trial. And I got on Larry King Live. And I was filling in for Nancy Grace. And then I was offered my own show, which I had for six years in New York. So that was a great opportunity. Now, at Celebrity Justice, I worked with PETA to do stories about celebrities and their animal causes. And it was a tabloid show. Usually celebrities and their publicists would literally run away from us. But because there's so many celebrities that love animals and have passion for animals, 
I was able to interview some big celebrities. For example, Robert Redford, uh, who wouldn't talk to a tabloid ever. He talked to me because he was concerned about the military sonar having a devastating impact on the whales. So I was always able to do animal stories. So then when I got the show uh, at the CNN headline news, HLN, I mentioned, can I do an animal story once a week? And I don't know what their thought was. Maybe they thought I was going to do pet adoption, but I ended up doing very hard hitting animal rights stories. I was showing pig gestation crates. In fact, you know, uh, some of the people putting the stories together said, I can't, I can't do this. The video is too tough for me to watch. Um, but I feel very uh, grateful always to HLN and CNN for allowing me to do those stories that you got to give them some props for that. Um, when the show- also you should say their viewership was at an all time high when you were coming out with that because of the trials that were. Yeah, so, uh- it was good timing. I was able to get the word out and I'm always grateful. And so when my show wrapped, I actually asked some of the people there who were pretty high rank. Well, what would you suggest I do next? And they said, you've got a great niche. Why don't you just pursue that? So I felt like, like, okay, good idea. And then my girlfriend, that snarky vegan girl, uh, suggested, Jane, you know, she joked to me one day. She goes, you're unchained. You can do whatever you want. Because, you know, when you're a reporter, you can't go to protests. It's uh, considered a conflict of interest. You've got to maintain your objectivity. And so I said, yeah, let's start going to protests. First thing I noticed when we went to protests um, in New York, it was bitter cold. It happened to be in the wintertime. Uh, hundreds of people uh, gathered in a protest, no media coverage. They're not videotaping it themselves. And people are cold, so they're just walking right by. And I was like, bingo, we need to bring some journalism and show this. So they graciously allowed me to keep my social media and I started building up my social media. Now we have more than 900,000 likes on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jane Velez Mitchell. And we go live. We've had 17.6 million video views on our animal rights vegan uh, videos in 2017 for 10 million minutes of video viewed. And um, we keep growing. And now we have 70 contributors around the world. And I'm happy to say, Steve, you and your wife, Julie, are two of our contributors and we love what you're doing with the juicing uh, in fact you inspired me to start juicing because one thing we do at uh jane unchained is do a daily vegan cooking show every single day at 12 30 and we haven't missed a day in since we started it uh we do a, a cooking show you've been on it and you do your own and we profile various people chefs uh, professors, uh, celebrity, uh, social media influencers, anybody who is vegan, cooking vegan uh, food. And so. And that's I, Lunch Break Live. I, I have the hashtag yeah. up here. It's hashtag yeah. Lunch Break Live, right? Yes, Lunch Break Live. And uh, it's been a big hit. People come up to me at Costco. Not that I go to Costco a lot, but I do try to support big box stores when they're adopting vegan items. So. You know, I'll try to sometimes go there and buy tofu and edamame and other things to support that. Um, and they say, hey, I watched your lunch break live. I've really cut down on my meat. And so that that's what I live for. In fact, we just commented there was somebody who just saw a video that we did at a uh, pig slaughterhouse. We bear witness to pigs going to slaughter. And there's something called the save movement, which aims to have a slaughterhouse a uh, vigil at every slaughterhouse in the world founded by a Toronto PhD who is a student of Tolstoy and who happened upon a pig truck and said, wait, Tolstoy teaches us when we see suffering, we have a moral obligation 
not to turn away, but to get closer, see if we can help him bear witness. Her name's Anita Crunt. She was arrested for giving water to a pig. She brilliantly, with her vegan lawyers, turned it, put animal agriculture on trial. The charges were ultimately thrown out, and she started the SAVE movement, which now has 600 vigils at slaughterhouses around the world, Europe, United States, Latin America, um, all over the world. And she wants to have a vigil at every slaughterhouse in the world and believes that when we achieve that, we will get to the point of having evolved to the point where we realize this is barbaric, medieval, unnecessary, bad for the planet, horrible torture for the animals, and terrible for human health. So we made a commitment to go live. We have 70 contributors. Jane Unchained has 70 contributors, volunteers, all volunteers around the world going live. We send them a stabilizer. We give them a Jane Unchained cap. There's the cap. And um, we say, you know, go live. We have a we have a code of conduct. We have some rules. Basically, don't attack. It's love-based, just like the SAVE movement. Just try to wake the consumers up. So um, that's why I started it, because I saw this gap. And it kind of dovetailed with what, you know, one of the executives said, "You, this is your passion. Go for that niche. And I said, yeah, it's a good idea. And as far as why it was called Jane Unchained, it was it was the joke that my girlfriend made. She goes, you're unchained now. And then, of course, there's the analogy to the animals being chained, to unchain us. So that's pretty much uh, the story of Jane Unchained. Well, it's really exciting. And I will say, I'm not biased, but you do have a new glow about you this year that's coming from the juice. I just know it. No, there is a new shine coming off you. I see it in your eyes and your skin. It's just this vibrant kind of thing that's coming along with the juice. So I'm glad that you've embraced that and brought that into your lifestyle. Well, let me say, completely transparent, um, I was doing this lunch break live vegan cooking show. And, you know, a lot of people say to us, well, what do you eat? And I can't give up cheese and I can't give up ice cream and I can't. And I'm always, you don't have to. So we've been profiling, you know, vegan cheese. I now know how to make vegan cheesecake, a vegan ice cream parlors, which we just profiled today, a vegan ice cream parlor here in L.A. Um, so consequently, guess what? We can now make everything, anything, including ribs, including wings, uh, cauliflower wings we do are incredible. But in the course of proving that every single thing at whatever stone, whatever cake, I had put on a few pounds. <laughs> I did prove it, though. With our incredible team, we proved everything. We've been in Berlin. We've been all over the world showing incredible five-star vegan restaurants. It's been a blast. But then one day, I stepped on the scale and said, okay, Jane, you've proved your point. Now you gotta, you've got to get back into that healthy range. Those are good treats. I'm not saying I'm never going to touch a piece of vegan cake again. But you've got to start doing something. And, you know, I had tried juicing before and the juices that I had originally tried, they just didn't jive with me. It was like broccoli juice. I was like, oh boy, I love broccoli, but broccoli juice, not so much. So I was just down at the corner. I would like to walk my dogs down to the corner. You inspired me. And then I, I wouldn't have picked up on this had I not been talking to you and Julie, but I went down to the corner and there's a place called uh, Juice Infusion nearby where I live. And I saw a sign that they said five-day juice cleanse. So I just said, let me try it. And I happen to really like the juices they make. Uh, so the juices they make were just particularly delicious to me. And I found that, uh, and they also put in a salad every day. So I did the five-day juice cleanse, and I found that I had more energy. I might, Here was another thing. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and as I mentioned, Many recovering alcoholics 
uh, end up getting sugar cravings because, um, you know, uh, alcohol becomes sugar eventually. There's a commonality there. So it's very common for people who are in recovery to crave something else. It's not particularly good for them. So I, I did have, I do have sugar cravings. But what I noticed during my juice cleanse was my sugar cravings decreased by like 75%. I don't know why. Maybe you can explain it. Your body's getting more alkalizing. You're resetting your taste buds. So when we're putting in all those vegetables and fruit concentrated down to that level, it's kind of, it's a total body reset. And then we start to crave healthier things. Even just fruit tastes like, a, a cheesecake and we just want more of that it's kind of like a, a total reset of the body I, I think it's just great that you took that path so so thank you for sharing that too yeah and then i decided because you know it is pricey to constantly do juice fast like i was at erwan i love erwan and i got a couple of juices yesterday waiting for my juicer that you ordered for me that has just arrived. It's right here. It just arrived like literally two minutes before we went on the air. (laughs) I'm so excited, but I realized, okay, this is not sustainable. Me going to juice bars and getting the glasses and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to start juicing. So honestly, I would like some tips from you because um, I have no idea how to do it. Yeah. We got a try best slow star over to Jane and family pricing, of course. So if you're in community, send me an email. We'll set you up too. But we, we should do a whole unboxing and I can show you the ins and outs. So, you know, it becomes the star of your kitchen. The first thing is get it right on the kitchen counter. Don't put it in the cabinets and take it out when you use it. Make it out of sight is out of mind. We really want it to be the star piece. Uh, and your girlfriend's going to love it too. Like you're going to become your own juicery and it's going to be easy. We'll get you the, the template recipe. It's the only recipe you need. Put it up on your refrigerator. You get those five core ingredients. It's available year round at the, at the supermarket. What are the five- What's that? What are the five core ingredients? The, the five core ingredients, it's celery, cucumber, uh, lemon for the liquid. And then we put in some greens like spinach or kale or dandelion greens or chard, a combination or one, even just one. And then you spice it up with something like ginger, uh, maybe cayenne pepper, a little sprinkle of that. If you like sweet, an apple would be great to add to this juice. And it's easy. It tastes amazing. You can put in some turmeric if you want instead of ginger. Um, it's anti-inflammatory, protects against diseases. And it's at uh, juicingchart.com. Jane, I'll send you uh, uh, I'll send you the template recipe so you have that, though. Thank you. Um, but anyway, enough about that. <laughs> I'm interviewing you. So I, I just want to say um, the future. What is the future for Jane Unchained? Where are you going with it? I know it's a nonprofit. And uh, are you looking to get more people involved with the network? Yes. And, oh, yeah. And, 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 I mean, I, and yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I, uh, we invite people. We like, just like Anita Crines and the SAVE movement would like a vigil at every slaughterhouse in the world. We'd like a contributor in every city in the world. And you don't have to live in a big city. We have people in uh, the Carolinas, in small towns. They go to sanctuaries. There are vegan restaurants all over America and the world. We, we, urge, we have a, a Switzerland court contributor. We have a contributor from the Netherlands. Uh, we have one in uh, Buenos Aires. So... If you're interested, um, <clears throat> reach out. Uh, I can even give you my email, jane at janeunchained.com. Pretty simple, jane at janeunchained.com. And you can e- also go to Jane Unchained, and there's a contributor application. If you're interested in being a contributor, fill out the application. We'll call you, and 
you know, I do pre-interview people because we have to be careful. <clears throat> First thing I say, and we have a code of conduct that you can also read on Jane Unchained. It's right there under contributors. We, we are not attacking. We are live. So we have to be careful because most articles are edited. So you have a various sets of eyes and even an attorney at a big place or two. Uh, but when you're live, you can't do all that. So we urge people, don't play Woodward and Bernstein. Don't attack companies. Um, just aim for the consumer. Talk to the consumer. When you're at a protest, ask people, you know, what would you say to consumers as opposed to why is this company evil? We're not about that. We're really about elevating um, the consciousness of consumers. And uh, so uh, that's pretty much what we do. Uh, we are alive several times. Now, we did do a McDonald's protest yesterday at three cities. Uh, there, McDonald's has introduced this bacon uh, promotion. And, you know, bacon, unfortunately, right now is very big. Oh, bacon is cool amongst the, the hipsters. Well, that's idiotic because bacon is a processed meat and the World Health Organization has officially declared processed meat to be carcinogenic, i.e. cancer-causing. So why are we promoting something that's cancer-causing, something that is intense use of resources leading to climate change and also involves tremendous, tremendous suffering of these animals who, sorry, Rico, but they're smarter than dogs. They have the emotional and intellectual development of, of three-year-old human children. Um, they can do basic calculations, and they've done all sorts of uh, demonstrations with pigs to show how super smart they are. Why are we doing that? And, you know, people are just very divorced from where their food comes from and who they are eating. And... Uh, there is no nice way to kill an animal who doesn't want to die. This idea of humane meat is uh, a myth. Uh, I don't think if I told you, hey, I'm going to kill you humanely, uh, which, by the way, isn't done. But if, if I could kill you humanely, would you say, okay, that's all right. I sign up. Sure, go ahead. No. <clears throat> Animals want to live just as much as we do. They have family units. Um, and... We just have to change. We are killing wildlife uh, because animal agriculture is using so much forest land that converts into farmland. Animals eat almost 40 times what they produce as meat or dairy. Think of it this way, okay? So a dog, anybody who has a dog knows you've got to feed your dog at least once a day, probably three times a day, a couple of times a day when you include treats. God forbid you were to kill your dog. Think about it. Of course your dog has consumed more food than the body parts would produce as meat. Sorry about that, Rico. I know he's offended. He says, I don't like that. Of course you don't. But we do it to point out that it's a highly inefficient food source. We are fattening up pigs and chickens and turkeys and uh, goats and lambs and cows while human children are dying in the third world of starvation. We could live in a world of abundance where everybody had all the food they want and then some. But what we've done is create false scarcity using meat so that we can make more money because it's the law of supply and demand. If there isn't a lot of something, you can make it more expensive. So we are creating false scarcity and people are literally starving so that other people, elites around the world, can, can say, well, it's my choice. Well, everything's a choice. 
You know, driving the wrong way down the 405 is a choice. It's not a good one. Uh, killing another human being is a choice. It's not a good one. It's not a moral one. And the thing that we also like to say, I do a weekly a radio show where I talk about this on Voice America Influencers, is, you know, there's so much depression right now in the United States. People are on antidepressants. They're hooked on drugs. And what are they depressed about? We are the richest society, arguably, the Western world, and yet they're so unhappy. Well, guess what? If you were to kill a human being, you would, unless you're a sociopath or a psychopath, you would be plagued by guilt. You would think about it. You would uh, muse on it. You would maybe revisit the scene of the crime. Well, guess what? You're also guilty about killing the animals because even though you're brainwashed and society tells you it's okay, those animals don't count. You don't have to worry about those pigs and those cows and those chickens. On some level, the subconscious is a lot smarter than the conscious mind. On some level, everybody knows they're killing, okay? Even though they get deeply offended, offended if you point out that they're killing. And they say, well, I didn't kill this animal. No, even worse, you hired some poor bleep who doesn't have choice of what job he or she wants to do your killing for you, giving them PTSD, carpal tunnel syndrome, depression, domestic violence, alcoholism, drug addiction, all the things that come with killing day in and day out for a living. It has tremendously high turnover. People don't want to do it. They only do it because they have no choice. Your thoughts on lab-grown meat. Somebody had posted on my wall about that a couple of weeks ago. Steve, what do you think about lab-grown meat and the future of that direction? I wonder what you thought about that, Jane. I think anything that reduces suffering, when we go to these slaughterhouses and we see these animals coming in and the terror in their eyes, and they've just lived lives of misery, separated from their children, the females. By the way, if you're a feminist, all of these animals, no animal is making love on a factory farm. They are all raped. In fact, the industry term is rape rack for cows. And you can go on it. Watch Dairy is Bleepin' Scary by Aaron Janice on YouTube. I, a, guy, a workman came in here yesterday, and I stopped in my tracks. He had said that, you know, he was expressing interest. Anytime somebody expresses interest, I stop whatever I'm doing. I try to talk to them. Because if I get one person to give up uh, meat and dairy, you save at least 250 animals a year. Um, sometimes a lot more than that. People are eating chicken wings for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and bacon on their friggin' ice cream. So I explained to him, I said, look, cows have to be pregnant to produce milk. You know what he said? Cows have to be pregnant to produce milk? What? I said, what do you think? You're a grown man? You think that cows just produce milk automatically? No, they have to be impregnated. They are raped. The males are masturbated, and then they take the semen and they push it in. Go watch five-minute video. Dairy is scary, Aaron Janice. It shows everything. Of course, it says warning, graphic, because you're never going to see this on mainstream TV. They present this fantasy of happy cows. It's all BS. These animals are miserable from the moment they're born to the moment they die. Anyway, he watched it. I give him kudos for that. And he was, I can't see, I can't watch this. I can't watch it. I said, just watch it. It's five minutes. I said, if you, if you got the courage to go and buy a carton of milk, maybe you should have the courage to watch what, what goes into that carton of milk. Suffice it to say, I think there's a very good chance he's not going to drink milk anymore. Um, so we have to get this information out. It's like back in the Soviet Union 
where there was a Soviet state and they said only certain information could come out and certain brave people would have little pamphlets and say, here, take, read this. This is the truth. It's like that when it comes to factory farming here in America today, because look at the advertisers, meat, dairy, fast food, pharmaceuticals, the industries that would collapse if people started eating healthy. And you know what? They can change, not necessarily the pharmaceutical industry. We wouldn't need all those pills for erectile dysfunction or high cholesterol or diabetes, all the things that they are making billions and billions and billions of dollars on. Have you watched TV lately? Every time you turn on the TV, it's just one pharmaceutical commercial after the next, if not fast food. And um, some of the ailments aren't half as bad as the side effects. And so we've got an opioid epidemic. And contrary to what certain people are saying, it's really not from drug dealers crossing the border. It's from doctors pushing mood-altering, highly addictive drugs on people when they have an ailment and then getting them hooked because there's no better customer, client, or patient than an addict. They will come back reliably over and over and over again for more of the drugs. So, you know... You're not going to get this information on advertiser-based television. It's not going to happen. They are shills for the industry. I'm sorry to say, in most cases, whatever news outlet you're talking about, they are not talking about this. Now, we do find news articles. You know, uh, the best thing you can do for uh, the planet is to adopt a vegan diet. Uh, We have to switch to plant-based lifestyle if if we want our planet to survive. But these articles are buried. It should be on the front page of the New York Times every day because we are barreling toward an ecological collapse. And the funny part, the tragic part, tragic comic part, is that when you try to tell somebody about this, they say things like, I love your passion. Or I care about children. Well, I care about children, too. That's why I'd like to stop children from dying of starvation. I'd like to stop two-thirds of American children from being overweight or obese and developing type 2 diabetes at an unnaturally young age. But um, there's a a level of denial in our society, not amongst the millennials. Why? Because millennials aren't watching TV that much. They're on their phones. And thanks to you, Steve, and the work that Jane Unchained contributors are doing, and plant-based news, and world animal news, and uh, Live Kindly, and The Dodo, and One Green Planet, and all the social media influencers like Earthling Ed and James Aspie and great, incredible vegan athletes and the documentaries that are appearing on Netflix. The younger people are waking up, the millennials. The Economist said 2019 will be the year that veganism becomes mainstream and that millennials and Gen Zers are the reason why. And 25% of millennials age 25 to 34, consider themselves vegan or vegetarian. It is happening. The older people, you know, it's happening a lot less. They're brainwashed. They're brainwashed by everything they see on the, on the tube every day, by every billboard that's built into our freeway system saying five minutes to McDonald's, 10 minutes to Burger King. And, you know, I want to give a shout out to, to fast food companies like Carl's Jr., which is now offering Beyond Meat Burger. And Del Taco is offering the Beyond Meat Taco. So these these McDonald's can change. The Burger Kings of the world can change. It's just a question of consumers forcing them to change. Unfortunately, 
this new bacon uh, promotion. And I am, you know, will talk to McDonald's or any of these companies anytime on Jane Unchained. You have a standing invitation. Um, it's really going in the wrong direction. I, I believe it's St. Vitus dance. I think it's the last throes of a dying um, era. What, what was that about the bacon? Oh, they have McDonald's has a promotion that is basically really pushing bacon big time. Suffice it to say, I don't want to promote it any more than we have to. Yeah. She's Jane Unchained. Now you see why. She's connecting the dots and getting this message out there in a way that is hitting people over the head. And some people don't want to wake up. So, there, you know, we do see resistance. Uh, the website, again, is janeunchained.com. If you're ready for this, willing and able to take in the new information and where it's all going. I love that you said the millennials are waking up because they're not conditioned like some of the older people are. But hopefully everyone could wake up. And thank you for providing that opportunity, Jane. We have a, a question in the studio audience that we'll get to in a minute. We're going to close out the radio part first. But before we do that, again, the website, janeunchained.com. You'll find that under the show notes at juicegrewradio.com for our show with Jane Velez-Mitchell. But anything that, that really summed it up beautifully, but anything that you didn't touch on or you want to share with our radio audience before we sign off there? Well, I want to say a lot of people are afraid. You know, when I got sober, uh, I, I don't come from up here. I understand what it's like to have cravings and addictions. I have a very addictive personality. And when I knew that I had a problem, I was so afraid because I thought, I literally thought I will never have fun again. I will never enjoy the sunset again because I used to go out with my glass of wine and watch the sunset. I will never go to a party again. I will never go dancing again. I will never, never, never. Guess what? It was all my preconceived notions. In sobriety, we like to say there is a concept that will keep a person in everlasting ignorance, and that is contempt prior to investigation. Well, guess what? I got sober. I watched the sunset. I have fun. I go dancing. I'm happier at parties because I know I'm not going to make a fool of myself, or if I do, I'm going to remember it the next day. So it's the same thing with with transitioning to a plant-based diet. You might feel it's a deprivation. It's not a deprivation. Deprivation does not work. It's not sustainable. You have to just... You know, as they say in 12-step, half measures avail us nothing. We stood at the turning point and we had to let go with complete, complete abandon. We have to let go of killing. It's, it's toxic. It's not good for us. It's not good for the planet. It's not good for animals. It's bad for our souls. It's bad for our spirit. You know, a woman called me up uh, recently and she said, I'm feeling really depressed. What would you suggest? I'd say, I said this to her. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, why don't you try Compassionate Lifestyle? Why don't you just try a diet where you're not killing for a while and see what happens? Because we're a happy lot. We are a happy bunch, us vegans. And we have kind of like a big vegan family across the world. Um, And there's a certain joy in knowing no matter what you did today, you didn't kill. It's very liberating. It's very joyous. The food is delicious. There's no sacrifice. It's an adventure. She's Jane Velez Mitchell. And by the way, the thing you reminded me of, you know, five-year-old Jane didn't have a drink in her hand. Five-year-old Jane didn't go to the birthday party and need to be drunk. You return to who you are, and that is who Jane Unchained is. You are who you are, and for that, there is joy. Thank you for your gifts and everything you're doing, Jane. Again, the website is janeunchained.com. A real gifts. I'm Steve Prusak, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at juicegururadio.com. Until next time, get your juice on.